when Jeremiah was very young. And he had a long career of being a spokesman for God, more than 40 years. And it was not a pleasant task because he was, uh, he became a prophet in the last uh, decades of Judah's existence. When really, for the most part, the people were wicked, they were worshiping idols, they were not serving God, and Jeremiah's task, to a great extent, was to warn them of the terrible destruction that was coming because of their unfaithfulness. Now, who wants to preach about that all the time? You know, that makes him uh, seem very negative, very critical, very unpleasant. People didn't like him, for the most part. And they tried to stop him, sometimes they even plotted to kill him. You know, if you don't like the message, kill the messenger, kind of an idea. And Jeremiah was discouraged even a lot. You could learn quite a bit about Jeremiah in this book. He tells about things that he felt and did and said. And, you know, it was, it was really hard on him to be speaking this message and have everybody reject him and, and shun him and feel like he was horrible. And uh, at the, at, near the end of Jeremiah's time, he was able... Uh, to predict some things about the future blessings after the punishment of captivity in Babylon. But overall, he had a rough time. And uh, so um, Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Old Testament, in the Bible, really. So there's a lot in Jeremiah. A lot of re repetition, but also just a lot of information that we get. So we're going to continue. In Jeremiah 17, he said... Things like verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. And verse 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? He's warned about their trusting in other people and their trusting in their own heart. And uh, that's not necessarily a popular message. Uh, he says in verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel... All, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they've forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. So those are the messages that he's been preaching leading up to what we're going to read now. And he comments your questions about the background to Jeremiah and that. That kind of at least gives you an idea of uh, Jeremiah's context. Would somebody read 14 to 18? Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Look, they keep saying to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. But as for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd after you, nor have I longed for the woeful day. You yourself know that the utterance of my lips was in your presence. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those who persecute me be put to shame. But as for me, let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, let, but let me not be dismayed. Bring on them a day of disaster and crush them with twofold destruction. Okay. Jeremiah opposed, attacked, rejected. Who does he turn to? The Lord. Which is exactly where we need to turn. Do you ever feel rejected, opposed, attacked? Do you ever feel, you know, discouraged? Turn to God. You know, people will turn to all kinds of places, you know, to try to get help and encouragement. But the right place to turn is to God. After all, 
You know, God's the one who can heal. God's the one who can save. So he turns to God, and then he explains why he's down. What were the people saying in verse 15? They were saying that Jeremiah wasn't right because they're like, where is God? Because he's not doing anything now, so nothing's going to happen. Exactly. What were they saying that about? Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. What word of the Lord would they have been, you know, suggesting that it's really not from God or God's not really God enough to do it? The destruction. The destruction. Jeremiah, for decades, <laughs> preached, you're sinful and you're about to be destroyed. And they're like, yeah, right, you've been saying that for a long time, nothing's happened. What is the word of the Lord? Go ahead, let him destroy us. Was that a smart idea on their part? You probably don't want to challenge the Lord to make good on his threats to destroy you. <laughs> uh, you know, that's very foolish. But... The fact that Jeremiah preached that and God in his mercy waited a while, for a while made Jeremiah look like he was just blowing off smoke. You know, it just made him look like he was issuing idle threats. This is going to happen. It doesn't happen. You know how Jeremiah is? He's always saying that kind of stuff. Don't believe a word he's saying. You know, let, go ahead and let God punish us. Well, how would that make you feel as a Jeremiah? When people are saying, ah, he says that stuff, but it never happens. How would you feel? Frustrated. Frustrated. <clears throat> How do you feel now when people reject you? Discouraged. Discouraged. Isn't it? That's, that's hard. And, and Jeremiah is mostly a prophet. If his prophecies aren't coming true, then what good is it? So it's just really discouraging what they keep saying. Look at what Jeremiah says back to God in verse 16. But as for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd after you. Even though his message is received with constant contempt, he has not been disloyal. He's continued being God's shepherd. He's not abandoned his post. It would be tempting under those circumstances to just say, I quit. You know, I'm not going to be a prophet anymore. But he hasn't done that. He also hasn't longed for the woeful day. You know, Jeremiah has not been, you know, hoping, well, I hope the destruction comes soon and destroys all these people. Jeremiah has dutifully preached what God told him without really longing for it to happen. That'd be a temptation, kind of. Uh, so Jeremiah's really been faithful. He's been innocent. You know, it wasn't his idea, after all, to become a prophet. He is just doing what God told him to do. One, his message is preaching, and yet he still gets all this flack over. So it's tough to be in Jeremiah's position. And so he asked God to be his refuge in the day of disaster, verse 17, and to punish those who are persecuting them, persecuting him. Go ahead and take vengeance. Is it bad to ask God to take vengeance on wicked people? It's really not. 
Wicked people like this who are rejecting the word of the Lord ought to be punished. And Jeremiah wants that to happen. He's ready for God to bring destruction on these people who are just mocking God and mocking his message. Comments or questions on this section? It's interesting looking at the contrast between Jeremiah and Jonah because Jeremiah was being made fun of for his message of destruction but he was still not hoping for them to be destroyed. And Jonah went and he was his message was accepted and then he was mad that they weren't destroyed. Yes. For Jonah it was more like he didn't want people to repent and serve God, not the Assyrians. They were his enemies. He wanted them to be really bad so God would punish them. Jeremiah would like for the people to repent and glorify God, but if they won't, then he believes they ought to be destroyed. So that is quite a difference. Good point. Other thoughts? By the way, as we're studying this, if you get sleepy or whatever, don't hesitate to stand up. We've got a small group, so you're not going to block anybody if you do that. Um, so, uh, 19 to 27. said to me, Go and stand in the public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out, as well as in the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all inhabitants of Jerusalem, who come in through these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed for yourselves, and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day, or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order to not listen or take correction. But it will come about, if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load into the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing no work on it. Then there will come in through the gates of the city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. They will come in from the cities of Judah and from the environs of Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the lowland, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings, sacrifices, grain offerings, and incense, and bringing sacrifices of thanksgiving to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load and coming into the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem and not be quenched. Okay. This is Jeremiah's message about the Sabbath day. How important was it for the Jews to keep the Sabbath day? Very important. Why would you say that? What shows how important the Sabbath day was? The rewards they would get if they followed the Sabbath. All right, there's blessings for keeping the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. There were Ten Commandments, so being one of those made it pretty important. What else shows how important it was? There were big consequences if they didn't. Like? People coming in and taking over. Do you remember what the penalty in the law was supposed to be for breaking the Sabbath? Like in Numbers 15, there was a guy who was gathering sticks to build a fire on the Sabbath. You know what they did to him by the word of the Lord? Stoned him to death. So God was very concerned that they keep the Sabbath. <coughs> Would it be hard to keep the Sabbath? Yeah. 
you're not doing anything on the Sabbath. Why is that so hard? Things need to be done. Especially... They're not making money. Making money! I think that's the big deal. You don't work on the Sabbath, you're losing an economic activity. He talks about bringing a load on the Sabbath day, bringing through the gates. You know, trading on the Sabbath day, buying and selling, doing, you know, your commercial business. You're losing out on a day of income. And, you know, I mean, after all, if your neighbors are making money that day and you're not open for business, what's that going to do to you? I think that's the uh, difficulty in this. This is a very visible thing. You know, there were some other Ten Commandments that were harder to detect, like uh, thou shalt not covet. You know what covet means. You know, want something in a wrong way that doesn't belong to you. Can you really tell if somebody's coveting in their heart? Maybe eventually it'll show up in stealing something or whatever, but the coveting itself you can't tell. Can you tell if somebody's breaking the Sabbath day and carrying a load through the city? Yeah. So it becomes kind of a visible sign as to whether or not they really respect God or not. And only if they respect God are they going to give up the possibility of making money on the Sabbath day. So it becomes just kind of almost an index as to whether or not somebody really committed to God or not. You know what it reminds me of a little bit? It reminds me almost of like how we might look at going to church. You know, going to church is not the only thing God commands. It is one of the more visible things. You know, there's some things I don't have any idea if you're breaking or not breaking. Because there are things you do in private, and I don't know what's going on in your life. You know, it's probably every bit as important that we study and pray diligently than it is that we go to church, but I don't know whether you studied or prayed or not, because you did that in your own closet or whatever. <laughs> but I can tell if you went to church or not. So I think this becomes kind of a visible thing. There really is a gauge, are they really respecting God or not? And he's very strong about this. Either you obey God on the, uh, about the Sabbath day and God blesses you, or you don't listen to me and God burns Jerusalem up. So does Jerusalem want to be blessed or ablaze? That's, uh, those are the consequences to the Sabbath law. Jeremiah, messenger of God, constantly is preaching to the people to follow the law and do what God said. Comments and thoughts about that. Do you think God is still, like, you said that church is kind of like our Sabbath day because the Sabbath day was to show respect to God's laws and we go to church because it's God's law and do you... Like, there's a lot of people that say it's okay to miss church because you don't have to meet three times a week and blah, blah, blah. Do you think God feels as strongly about that as he did the Sabbath? Yeah, I'm not really saying it's a parallel except in the idea that it's a very visible thing. You know, we often look at something that's visible and it becomes kind of a gauge to us to how somebody's doing because we can see it. Um, you know... Certainly, I think we need to be careful that we don't say what some people say, and that is that like Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Is that true? No, it's really not. I mean, if it were, you couldn't really do anything on the Sabbath day. I mean, do you realize what they couldn't do on the Sabbath day? 
a lot. Like, what would be something we very commonly do on Sunday that they could not do on the Sabbath day? Cook. Cook. That's exactly what I was thinking about. That would be kind of, uh, you know, a, a bother to us, wouldn't it, if you couldn't cook on the Sabbath day? So I don't know anybody who actually treats Sunday as a Sabbath day. I know people who say it's the Sabbath day. It's really not. It is a day of worship in the New Testament, but not a Sabbath day, not a rest day. So what's our Sabbath? If, we, if Sunday's not the Sabbath, do we have a Sabbath? Heaven. Heaven is... I don't think heaven's our only Sabbath. What did Jesus say? That he was the Sabbath? Yeah, what did he, how did he say that? Come unto me. Yes, and I will give you a Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest from sin and the bondage to sin and all that. So their Sabbath day is fulfilled in what we have in Jesus. So we don't have a Christian Sabbath. Is it important for us to come together and worship God? Yes, it certainly is. I mean, that's definitely the pattern you see in the New Testament. Um, exactly how God judges all those things. And you might be able to ask some questions. Well, what about this? What about that? I don't know if I can answer all those questions. But I do know that the Bible picture is Christians coming together to worship God and build each other up. And what would you think if in your family, one of the members of your family just never wanted to be around your family? Would that be a bad sign? There's something going on that's not too good in that, isn't there? I mean, you, you would think they'd want to be in the family. That's the way it ought to be. We ought to want to be close to our family. We certainly ought to be wanting to worship God and study his word. And a lot of times when you see somebody who doesn't, it's at least a symptom. Something's going on there that's not good or they want to be a part of this. They'd enjoy this. Uh, so that's what I'm Other thoughts or comments? So probably in a similar way, the Sabbath was probably the last thing they gave up. By the point, by the point that they started breaking the Sabbath, there were a lot of other things that were already gone. Yes, I think it's typical that our heart strays away before we don't even do some of these external things that are more obvious. You know, we usually try to keep on a good mask, <laughs> even when we're not doing good on the inside. By the time we've let the mask drop, often we're really not doing well. I would agree with that. And yet we always look at attendance as one of the number one indicators. You know, yeah. oh, you need to attend. Well, no, that's that's kind of like the last step of the process if you really follow. It may be one of those things that it's like, wow, you've gone that far. Do you realize how bad you've gotten? Maybe so, but you're right. You know, we really need to think about how to be keeping our heart close to the Lord because there's people who can attend church and they're not at all doing what's right. They're not at all living for the Lord. It's easy to keep up that appearance for a long time, even after we've kind of died on the inside. Good point. All right, look at chapter 18. Here's a, a 